Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everybody. This is Richard. Adam and I are at CES 2020 this year for different purposes. Of course, he's here for his company, and I'm here with the Digital Media Zone covering the latest in media, smart home, and gaming tech. We got together to record this special episode of the Smart Home Show, giving you our favorite picks in the smart home space. And of course, mine are heavily slanted toward the lighting area. And also taking a look at some of the trends that we're seeing on the floor this year. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and welcome to The Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual, but not really as usual, because unlike normal, where we're at home recording from our respective homes or offices, Richard and I are side by side, so with my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And today we're recording live from the show floor at CES in Las Vegas. But before we get into all the smart home talk we have to talk about today, I have a question for Richard to open the show. So Richard... How many times have you been to CES? I've been thinking about this as I was heading out here, and I, I think the first time I came out was 14 years ago, which would make this my 15th show, but I know I missed a year. So I'm going to say 14 times. Wow. Okay. You definitely have me beat. <laughs> I didn't have as much time to think about this as you did. I know we've been doing this show for at least the last five years. And I probably went one or two times before that. So my number's probably about half of yours. It's always a good time. It is. It is. And if I'm forgetting, I apologize. But is this the first time we've actually recorded together in person? This is literally the first time we've ever recorded in person. I mean, together. we see each other occasionally, but <laughs> yeah. we've never recorded in the same space before. I know. I know. So there we go. CES brings us together. <laughs> and that's its purpose. Yes. So, of course, if you want to submit a question to open the show, you can send us that question on Twitter with using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. So, I think to kind of kick things off here, we just wanted to talk a little bit about what are some of our favorite and kind of most interesting finds at, at CES so far for 2020. So, Richard, what have you been excited about so far? Well, the thing that I'm most excited about actually isn't in smart home. So I'm going to keep my focus on smart home for the purposes of this discussion. There are a couple products out here that are iterations on existing technology that I think are really refining the products to the point where they make sense for average consumers. One product that I saw in particular and that, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, wins the removable smart plug category is the new Wemo mini smart plug. Now, two years ago, Wemo came out with what at the time was the thinnest removable smart plug that you could get where you could stack the two together and it was 
nice form factor, very contemporary, easy to use. They even updated their app, which otherwise had been pretty terrible up to that point. But now Wemo works with everything. It works with HomeKit. It works with your... I think it even works with smart things. It works with your assistants. So they halved it. It's half the size of the existing Mini, which is already really small. Yeah. So making these things so that they don't look like some awful, you know, big techie thing hanging off your wall, I think is going to help consumers be more willing to use that kind of solution if it, if it works for their use case. Right. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. And they kind of, you know, went that, that kind of long route, but it still kind of stuck out a little bit. And certainly slimming that down is, is going to be nice. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to do round robin or do you want me to go through a bunch of things here? Uh, we can go back and forth a little bit. You may have a little bit more than I did. All right. I'll say, you know, we, we do have a booth here at the show and we're showing off our, our in-wall outlet. So a lot of my time has been pretty confined to that or meetings. Oh, wait, can I guess what one of your favorite picks is? But my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> certainly what I've seen the most of. So, yeah, I, I've been able to walk around a little bit, and I've certainly been trying to keep up on, on Twitter and, you know, reading some other people's coverage of the show, but I, I really haven't gotten to fully walk the floor yet. My exposure's been limited. One of the things I did, you know, read about and then went over to check out was all the new stuff that Ring has, mm-hmm. which I know you were very excited about as well. Yep. And I think this kind of hits on one of the themes I'm seeing in, in the smart home space at CES, which is like taking existing categories or things that people are working on and just refining them, adding things, doing small offshoots, things like that. I think something that we've talked about on the show before was Ring's smart lighting yep. solutions for outdoors. And so their path light, I think after we did that show, I was like, I'm going to go do it. And literally, I had them in my cart, and then I got the prompt of, like, this is how many batteries you're going to need to buy (laughs) to get this path light. And that's what gave me pause. I was like, really? I'm going to have to buy this many batteries? Like, I don't know that I want to be replacing these batteries all the time, whatever. So they've solved that problem, and they now have a solar version of the path light. And I think that makes a ton of sense. It does make a a ton of sense. And and don't let what you know about solar path lights kind of negatively influence your thoughts on what this might be. The approach that they're taking from an engineering perspective is really clever. They have a big battery in this thing. They're, they're going to be using more or less the same battery that they use in their spot, battery spotlight. So it holds a lot of power and it can power a bright light for long periods of time and you're going to pre-charge this through usb and then your sunlight will just continue to trickle charge it and keep it charged and it is going to put out like crazy i think it's like 3800 or something like that if i remember correctly and you only really need four or five hundred milliamps to get their lights at full brightness okay and their lights are bright their lights are 80 um 80 lumens and they have reflectors and everything the other thing that i like about this revision is that they fixed the problem that i didn't like which is that 
you looked right at the light lens when you looked down at the old design. Now, the light is on the top because that's where the power is. Right. And it shines down. So they, I think this is a wonderful refinement of the product. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Did you also see their light bulbs? Yes. Yeah, for outdoor as well. Yeah. So I think this is a really creative solution because, you know, you may have a fixture that's already in place and you don't want to stop using it. Or maybe it's too, has, too much of a hassle to replace it because the previous owner has painted over it seven times. But you can replace the bulbs easily, put their smart bulb in. Their smart bulb works with the bridge. And now that fixture is connected to your whole ring system. It's very clever. Just make sure nobody turns off those lights now, and then the you lose control of that bulb. It's the age-old problem. Yep, age-old problem there. So on that solar path light, I talked to the guy there, and he said it will be coming out, I believe, in summer? Actually, yeah, yeah you're doing what I'm doing. You're hedging a little bit. So they're yeah. saying April 1... Yeah. But they said March last year, and they didn't make that date. So kind of given that history, I'm just going to assume it's sometime in the first half of the year. Right. And he said it should be a small premium above the existing Pathlight. So sounds like it's going to be in that general category, but not huge premium above that. So just wait for the first Amazon sale, maybe uh, Prime Day or something, <laughs> and uh, we'll get those on discount. And honestly, they're not expensive. What is it? it like $70 for two of them or something like yeah. that? It's not an expensive product. Yeah. So that that may be what finally gets me on uh, some ring lighting in my home. All right. Um, and they also have a solar version of the step light, too. Yes, and a much better design yes. than the old Mr. Bean's design. Yes, the step light looks really nice. Seems like a good solution and something I'd be willing to put near my home. A little bit ironically, it's now too deep to actually put on a step, though. So It's a little weird. Right, but it, I don't think people necessarily were. I mean, you probably... Maybe put it on the side of your house or on the side of a post or something like that anyway. Okay. Uh, I guess continuing in on the, the ring stuff, they also have a solar version of their floodlight cam that looked very interesting. Kind of a refinement of that design, but kind of a solar first. Um, there was always a solar option for the old one, but this one is kind of fully solar baked in. That seemed interesting. And keep in mind, their solar version is solar recharging of the big huge battery that's in there yeah so you're not everybody kind of balks at this idea of big bright lighting from solar because how could that possibly work these things you buy at home depot they're out before 11 o'clock at night this is a totally different thing yeah i think it makes a lot of sense the other big thing i saw from them was they they're kind of rebranding their pro line under this new ring x brand that's where all the pro products are going to go they all have a three-year warranty on them as well as they come with the basic service for the device for the life of the device Mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting they also have this new uh controller pro which is for gates and kind of more sophisticated entry systems also look interesting for anybody that higher-end homes that might have that kind of thing going on. Right. Anything else you saw at at Ring that interested you? I think you pretty much covered all of the new stuff there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I was happy with what they had. All right, well, most of the things that I've looked at are lighting-related, so I'm 
you know, I'm a lighting geek. So yeah. I'm going to stick with that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about new products from a relatively new company. There's a company called Inavelli, and Inavelli has been actually making a lot of noise in like the smart things community and the habitat community for enthusiasts and smart home people who are a little bit more hacky than your average consumer okay because they're coming out with a bunch of products that are going to be extremely customizable kind of thing where it has an led on the side and you can't just turn it turn the led on or off, you can tell it what color it is, you can tell the dim level, you can use the LED as an indicator for something else going on in your system. Okay. So, for example, you let's say it's the switch in your bedroom where you turn your lights out, and when you do that, if the doors aren't locked, you could have a routine in SmartThings that flashes that light red to let you know that actually the system isn't ready to be shut down yet, you know? Cool. Kind of a clever way of using... Uh, something that's already there for another purpose, the indicator light. Right. They also have made this switch, this dimmer, to be the most versatile in-wall dimmer I've ever seen. It can be used as a three-wire dimmer, which is pretty consistent for most homes. It can be used as a two-wire dimmer. Same skew. Wow. Same product. In other words, the neutral wire is optional. You don't have to connect it. If you have it, they want you to use it, but you don't have to. It can be used as a three-way switch, tied into a three-way circuit, working with another smart switch. Cool. It can be used with smart bulbs. So you can group through Z-Wave the switch and the bulbs together and not even worry about the fact that, yes, it's controlling the circuit, but... You can control the switch so that basically tell the switch, yeah, actually it's using smart bulbs now, so don't dim the circuit at all. Right. Dim the bulbs instead from the same switch. This is something, an idea I wanted to do uh, many years ago when we had maybe broader ambitions to touch light switches and things like that. I, I always knew somebody would do this, but I always loved the idea of possibly decoupling the switch from whatever it's controlling. Right. And what I love about it is that it's an option. Yeah. Like, yeah. it can either switch the load or not. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. So, really slick product. That's available today. I think it's about $40 or something like that. Okay. And, oh, by the way, the other thing that's configurable is the look of it. You don't have to get it in white. The whole paddle is removable, and they have seven other colors, like all the standard colors, and then... Like red and something else kind of crazy. Okay. And they're all going to be like $5 accessories or something like that. Cool. They already have them in the office. They just, they arrived from their manufacturer on Monday after they had left to come out here. Okay. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. I actually saw similar kind of decoupling product announced from Philips Hue. I didn't see it on the show floor, but I was reading about it. It was something that went into a two-gang box. And similar thing where the switches could either control smart bulbs or it could be used to control the load at the panel. And I think it was like a four-button setup. It looked like a really interesting kind of different product from them. Kind of along those lines, I was talking with GE quite a lot yesterday. And... Before the show, GE announced their new line of 
I want to call them two-wire switches, but for some insane reason, their marketing people are insisting on counting the ground wire, even though no electrician ever would. So they're calling them three-wire switches, but switches that don't require a neutral wire. Right. They came out with them. I don't really like the industrial design of most of the GE, right. the right. C by GE switches. That didn't change. And that didn't change at all. Same design they had before. It's exactly the same design, but they're doing the same kind of thing that you're talking about. Like that switch can control the load or and or it can also control any of the other C by GE products. So it kind of pulls dual duty. And one of the nice things that they did with their switch is their load and their line are interchangeable. Nice. You don't have to worry about it. That's good. Yeah, that's convenient. Just makes installation a lot simpler. Just another thing you don't have to worry about. Exactly. Yeah, I know the guy who runs that team at at GE. He is actually ex-Control 4, I believe. Yep. Smart guy. And so I think some of these new products are, are really, you're starting to see the result of of his work there uh, since he's joined the team. So the other thing I'll hit on as far as like nothing, no product specifically, but I think one of the big kind of product categories that's emerging here at the show is Wi-Fi 6. It's, it's been out for a little bit, but I feel like everywhere I'm looking in the smart home area, people got new Wi-Fi 6 routers and they're using this Wi-Fi 6 technology to drown out all other Wi-Fi in the convention center, keeping it very hard to maintain demos in our booth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it seems like it's finally here. I don't know why we need it, but uh, it's here, and uh, come and get it. I am less worried about Wi-Fi 6 in people's homes than I am about just ensuring that whatever system they have it's going to be ready to support the potentially hundreds of nodes if, in fact, the world is going to an IP-based home. Right? I mean, we can't expect the average router from your cable company to deal with that. I know some people's routers that top out at, like, 25 devices. Right. Yeah, I think there was something that came up on Twitter the other day where they said the average number of devices in a home is, like, four or seven. Like, it was a pretty small number and i'm like oh, are you kidding me that's just great not not our friends like not not the kind of circles we run in for sure <laughs> like that doesn't even cover the devices i have on me right now let alone you know everything else in my home so that may be the that may be the mean but i'm really i'm, I'm sure you and i and people like charlie kindle are blowing that median way, way up there. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's definitely a long-term concern. You want to make sure you have enough capacity on those routers to control, you know, hundreds of devices. So I'm sure there are people that are pushing the limits. And that'd be an interesting thing to hear from listeners. If, you know, tweet us and how many devices do you have in your house? And anybody run into this kind of issue, it'd be an interesting thing to hear about. I personally haven't hit that upper limit yet, but I'm sure as we continue to add to our smart homes, that'll be a a problem and you'll have to adjust your infrastructure accordingly to to support it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yesterday I spent some time running around in what is known as Eureka Park in 
what used to be the basement of the Sands. Actually, I think it used to be the parking garage. It's now more like a basement. Yep. And this is an area where they have just tons and tons of six or eight foot booths all lined up and you're going up and down and up and down and looking at everybody's future products. There's very little actual available product down there. It is, you know, these are companies that are either proposing and looking for partners or they're trying to drum up interest here. Yep. We actually started in Eureka Park, very first year, and it's amazing to me how much it's grown. The year that we were in it, I believe it was 2015, um, when we first showed off the first plug, uh, that was probably the first time you and I met, that it was like one row in the back of the of this this hall in the sands and oh that's right since then they've taken it downstairs and it's just exploded like crazy so. it's the entire downstairs it takes up as much floor space as the floor of the sands which is all of smart home all of health tech all of robotics ai all that stuff yeah yeah so i mean there's always interesting things down there but i kind of agree with you it's like you don't know how, like, is any of this going to see the light of day? Right. There's been some success stories out of it, but, yeah, it's always interesting. So what did you see down there that piqued your interest? So there are two smart products down there that I think have a lot of potential. And, you know, at the Digital Media Zone, we won't cover stuff like that. Because I don't want to get someone excited about something that has maybe a 30% chance of coming to fruition, right? But the first product was a project out of University of Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And they're working with Allegiant on a new lock product for sliding doors. Ah, that's a good problem to solve. Nobody's tackled this problem yet. And this is a really difficult problem because sliding doors, you know, if there's another sliding door project down there to, like, open and close at a crack to let your dog in and out. I don't know if you solved that. No. But modding a sliding door is near to impossible. It's steel frame and thick multi-pane glass likely a lock that was put in by the manufacturer it's not like a normal door that you could switch out the lock on it per se right and it's in there in many of them they're not unlike the crappy flip lever that you see on such doors in a holiday inn yep you know (laughs) do you want to know how we secured our sliding glass door in our first home yes i do we had a wooden rod yep broomstick that we cut to length that we would literally like slide in the track at the end of the night and it was hacky but no i know many many people i as a kid i grew up and we went down to the same beach house every year and that's the method they had to secure all of their sliding doors so what is this what does this solution look like so this is really interesting this is a a two-piece thing that has a, a steel plate that is maybe less than a quarter of an inch thick so it can slide between the overlap of the two doors and with a very special epoxy that they've been working with various companies on it epoxies to the outer window okay and it has a hole in it it has just kind of like a so imagine like a pinhole for a pin style lock Uh, that basically ends up positioned underneath then a bracket 
that hooks onto the edge of the inner door so that when they're aligned, then that pin goes into this piece that's epoxy to the window. I forget the pound strength they said was necessary to budget, but it's obscene. Okay. Like, it's not going anywhere. So you throwing your weight behind it and tugging, it ain't going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It's just, okay. it, it's going to stay there. And they have it so that you can either operate it manually when, it, when these two pieces align, or it can be operated through Bluetooth, and they'll have an app that'll allow you to open and close it with Bluetooth, and they're working in a bridge or actually they're using an existing bridge I suspect, I don't know if it is or not but I suspect it might be the bridge that Halo Home uses from Avion okay. but they're working on a Bluetooth bridge that will allow them to tie that into Wi-Fi and voice assistants and maybe smart things and stuff like that they need to get this product out fast and they realize this because all the lock manufacturers were down there this week looking at that thing yeah. And they should be scared because nobody's doing this. But you said they're backed by a legion, right? Which is right. which is Schlage. Right. So hopefully with that partnership, they can help get them out the door and make sure they get it to the market before the copycats show up. Exactly. Exactly. So really clever product. I, I certainly hope they protect it. I, I hope they protect their IP. And I'm really impressed by what they're doing. I I'm not going to get too excited about it because, you know. But when you have a big name backing something like that, it's your, your chances are better than 30%, yep. probably. Yep. Okay, what else did you see down there? So the other thing that I saw, and this is uh, this is smart, not connected. Okay. There's nothing connected about this whatsoever. Okay. It is simply an extender for an outlet. Now, that sounds really dumb, right? But let's imagine that you have a bureau or... A piece of furniture that blocks an outlet. Very common scenario. Okay. But you want to be able to get to the outlet easily after that piece of furniture is in place. The common solution is, if you think about it ahead of time, you remembered to plug in an extension cord and leave it back there just in case. Right. And if you didn't, then you have to move the furniture and and get it in there. They're coming out with, or they're, they're designing a product that is, I mean, honestly, it looks like something you would buy in, on As Seen on TV, but it solves a legit problem where it's like a, a two-foot ex- expandable plastic arm that mimics a double outlet and gets 3M removed tape adhesed to the wall or to, you know, either up or to the side or down, and it's on a pivoting plug. Okay. So you can basically turn it any way that you need it. It's just kind of an ingenious engineering solution to a common problem that has nothing to do with connected smart home. But okay. I, I'm very impressed by it. Knowing what I know about UL certification, oh, I know, I that 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 would be my biggest pause. I I, I talked with them about that. Yeah, yeah. I would put it at ten percent chance given that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they are going to have a heck of a time getting that certified. Yeah. Well, it sounds interesting, so hopefully wish them luck. And then in three or four years, as seen on TV. So the next kind of area of boost that I wanted to check out, kind of announced pre-before the show, was Kohler's new smart shower head, which, you know, you, me, some of our friends, Dave Zatz, we're all having a, a good old time making fun of on Twitter. 
Um, but I wanted to go see it in person and see what, you know, is it really as ridiculous as we think it is? All that. I would say I have a more positive attitude about it than I did from my, you know, armchair quarterbacking from Twitter. So, Adam, th- it, when you say smart showerhead, you're talking about the showerhead that has the removable smart speaker in it, right? right? Right. So think Bluetooth speaker for your shower, and there are two versions of this device. So the way this works is you replace your existing showerhead. So pretty simple install, you know, thread tape if you've ever done a showerhead. And without the speaker in the middle, it literally looks like a big circular ring. And there's this gap in the middle. The conical gap. Yeah, conical gap where the speaker goes. And it's held in there by magnets. Everything's cooler with magnets. (laughs) And you can either get a Wi-Fi version of the speaker or a Bluetooth-only version. Why would you want a Wi-Fi speaker in your shower, you say? Well, you need the Wi-Fi version if you would like to have either the Amazon Assistant in your shower or the Google Assistant in your shower. With that, the battery life for the Wi-Fi version is five to six hours of playtime. And I think they said the standby was a couple weeks. So I don't know what practical usage, if you wanted to listen to podcasts every day in the shower you know, how often you're going to be popping this thing out and recharging it. The recharging also happens on a proprietary dock. There's like two metal contacts on this guy. That's that. Uh, The Bluetooth... How much? much? Come on, how much? Uh, $230 for the Wi-Fi version. The Bluetooth version is cheaper. I don't remember the price on that. Mm -hmm. And the Bluetooth version does seven to eight hours of charge time. Mm -hmm. So for me... I don't really see the utility of uh, having an assistant in the shower. I find it creepy. You find it creepy? It is a little creepy. It's a pretty private space to have a microphone. I don't want interaction in the shower. I listen to podcasts in the shower. I absolutely do that. How do you accomplish that today? So there are other methods for doing this. I actually have a lighting fixture for the shower that has a rechargeable Bluetooth speaker built into it. Okay. It's made by a Lithonia. And it's a pretty clever design because anytime the light is on, it recharges the battery. So you don't actually have to have the light on to use the speaker. Okay. But when you turn the light on, then it automatically kind of triggers your speaker to try and pair with the device that it's used to pairing with. It's a pretty clever design. I also have a travel speaker that I have with me right now. And no, not right now. But for my shower, when I travel... I actually put it in the bathroom when I travel, hang it over the glass door of the shower or the shower curtain rod. That cost me $7. Okay. Bluetooth speaker connected to my phone solves the same problem. Doesn't cost 200 and how many dollars? $230 for the Wi-Fi version. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, I feel like when you do a solution like this, you also have to still be good at the function you're designed for. So you also still have to be a good shower head. <laughs> that was one of my concerns is like you now have moved the water in the shower head to this one ring around the outside. Like you're not going to get as good of a shower head. You know, most shower heads have whatever, the full coverage throughout the entire face of the shower head. Right. It gives you a lot more streams of water. So I was like, is this thing just going to be a, a crummy shower head now? So that was one of my concerns. 
uh, taking a look at it. Was this not on display in one of their wet rooms? Because they have wet rooms where they're showing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of flowing water in, in their booth, Moen's booth, others. So I'm always curious how they achieve that on the show floor. Yeah. it's uh, I've seen behind the scenes, usually it's like a big water tank and pumps and things like that. Um, we're going to go off on a tangent because I have to tell this story. But uh, <laughs> CES Horror Story about running water. This was two or three years ago. One of the things we done in the past is not only we show off our own products in our booth, but we use the opportunity to show off some of our customer products. So we we put together a smart pump, a smart sump pump for a company called Wayne Water, and they were so excited that we wanted to show off the work we had done for them at CES. So they sent this very involved sump pump demo that actually pumped water for us to show in our booth. The instructions I got for this demo were not well detailed about how all the pumps worked, but basically you were circulating. There was a second pump that was pumping water through this thing. But if you didn't have it set up just right, the pump on the bottom to circulate the water back up was actually stronger than the sump pump. And so once we were operating this demo, at some point, the water started rising and rising (laughs) and rising. The sump pump alarm went off. And we're like, stop! How do we get it to stop? And it starts spewing water all over our booth. Oh, wow. And eventually we unplugged everything and we got it to stop. But it was a total nightmare. We were, like, getting paper towels and stuff to clean it up. So after that, I banned running water from ever being anywhere near our booth. I think that's a good good plan. Yeah. Yes. So they, they, I'm sure, have big crews and a big budget to do all that fancy running water stuff, but we will never do it again. <laughs> so back to the shower head. It is coming out in late summer. I still think it's a little bit of a goofy device, but I don't think it's as ridiculous as I probably uh, upon initial impression. I think there's going to be some people that like this. There certainly are, like you said, other ways to accomplish this. But I remember from some of our early conversations with Moen that in their research, music in the shower was something, you know, was a problem that people wanted to be solved. Absolutely. No, absolutely. That's not, this isn't a frivolous solution. Well, it may be a frivolous solution, but it's not a frivolous problem. This is, this is something that most people, this is something that people want. Yeah, I know. My wife will take her iPhone into our shower and set it on a shelf in the shower, and I'm like... Okay, that creeps me out completely. I know that it's waterproof or water-resistant, but, like, in general, that's not really a good idea, and steam gets into any crack or crevice or whatever. Like, I don't think it would be a good idea to do that on a daily basis. She certainly doesn't. It's more of an every-once-in-a-while kind of thing, but that's not a good solution for solving that kind of problem. Also, that would peak my device camera paranoia. Yes, Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think almost like I could see somebody having two of these so they can always have one charging and you just hot swap it out. But that would be super ridiculous. You're going to spend, whatever, 400 some dollars on this? I don't think that's necessary. You know, people are joking about the battery life. I don't think the battery life is bad. A Bluetooth speaker, you are generally going to get anywhere from, like, six to 12 hours out of it depending on how big it is for a for a, a typical wet like beach or shower speaker you're not getting more than that yeah. so i don't think the charging time is weird i don't know how much you know about 
the history of this, but Caller has been working on this very design for a Bluetooth speaker solution for at least two, if not three years now. That's crazy. It astounds me that they're just suddenly deciding, oh, maybe we should put this out. And it's still going to take six more months. Yeah. If it ships on time. I saw this design at South by Southwest, I believe it was in 2018. Okay. Or or maybe 2017. I will give them credit. They... uh a lot of their stuff that was vaporware last year in their booth um, now seems to be shipping. So their their super high-end version of their shower is shipping. It was kind of funny. The guy giving me a tour of their booth was like, this is the shipping corner. Like, these are all the products that are shipping. <laughs> they also have a really basic version of a controller for shower and tub fill that I thought was pretty clever. It's, it's Bluetooth only, and it kind of mimics a traditional dial but a little bit clearer interface. Like there's, there were literally two buttons on it, one for shower, one for tub. So a little bit more simple than your typical like tub shower combo where you're like pulling up the thing and then doing all that to get the shower to come on or, or the tub. So I thought that was clever. Yeah, I mean, that, that seemed like an interesting product. It seems like they're, they're trying to make sure they have the full spectrum of the market covered, not just the super high end, which is really where they used to be in, in their smart stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I mean, you know, when they were showing stuff last year, the products that they were showing were thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I also noticed they are now shipping their smart assistant enabled faucet. Right. And actually, that came out a couple of months ago. I'm curious if they've improved on it since launch. I feel like this category is just kind of weird in general. Moen is also showing off a a smart faucet here at the show. Now, is that shipping yet? I believe it's shipping very soon, like in the next couple months. Okay. So if you're not familiar with that category, what these faucets can do is not only can you turn them on and off, but you can also ask an assistant for a temperature of water as well as an amount of water. So you could say, you know, hey, lady, give me two tablespoons at 100 degrees, and it will dispense that exact amount at that exact temperature. Moen is doing that? Moen is doing that as well. So they're the only ones that are, because neither Kohler nor Delta have any temperature control. It's simply a valve. Okay. Moens can also do temperature control. And what was interesting to me uh, watching the demo was... The, the person giving the demo said that it would purge water that wasn't at temperature, but it didn't purge it out of the faucet. So I wasn't sure if there's like another valve or a hose or whatever that's getting rid of cold water. But it Because I was thinking that would be a little bit weird to like wait for it to kick out. But I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that, but it seemed interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can see how that could be configured under the sink. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I don't know. They were giving the use cases of, like, you could put your coffee pot. So, like, how much volume goes into your coffee pot? Set that as a preset. And then you just say, fill my coffee pot. Yeah. The one that makes a lot of sense to me was, like, baby bottles. You know, when we had an infant, you know, you're constantly filling that. But there's also a gadget just for that. So, you know, would I get a new kitchen sink just for that? I don't know. I'd get a device just for filling baby bottles, probably, is what we had, which is super cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a weird kind of UX scenario. And 
I don't fully buy into it, but it's here, and there are multiple companies that are doing different aspects of it at this point. I want one. You want one? I do. I do. Okay. I think the most useful is that personal like preset capability okay. where you tell it when you say coffee pot that I specifically mean this many ounces of water or you know when you say large pot that it's this many ounces of water or you can specifically request the water amount that you want. I think that's really valuable. I can't tell you how many times I'm making something and I need you know and I have the I have the measuring cup out and I'm pouring it and then I take it away and I'm look uh, you lean down and you look at it and then okay no I need more now now I have to pour some out now I need more I mean just the convenience of doing that I think is incredibly useful. Yeah and I do like the idea of like often when I'm manning the kitchen and doing a bunch of things all at once the idea of like filling a pot and being able to walk away. So you just tell it, okay, fill this pot and you can go and get, you know, your pasta or whatever else you're still prepping around the kitchen. I think that could be interesting. So Yes, exactly. I do know some people at Moen, so maybe I can get you the hookup on uh, a review unit to check that out. Hmm. Hmm. All right. We'll talk. Okay. Anything else or should we move on to our next topic? Yeah, so I think let's uh, let's take a quick break for our sponsors, and then we'll return with some more discussion. All right, so for part two today, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing in product here on the floor. Not surprisingly, mine are largely about lighting. Adam, you already cheated a little bit because you mentioned Wi-Fi 6. I think that that very clearly is something that folks are talking about. I didn't really mention this at the time when you said that, but the thing that gets me about the Wi-Fi 6 is that it's all like starting at $400. Yeah. How do you educate consumers that they need a $400 router when what they probably have now is like if they had one from the old days it might be like an airport express for a hundred bucks and that was a lot of money or they're paying three dollars a month to their cable provider yeah and i think what it comes down to for me is do the devices the end devices support it until my laptop and my ipad and my phone all have the right radios in it to support that and get the speeds it's not really worth it to me and you know i think what we have today is plenty good so i feel like it's a little bit of the cart before the horse kind of thing um but it'll get there yep yep all right well i mentioned that both ge and the other company i was talking about earlier they both have two-wire solutions, no neutral solutions. I've noticed a number of companies touting today that they're releasing no neutral wire switches. This isn't a problem that you have to deal with with outlets, because outlet boxes, by definition, have neutral in them. They have neutral... Your outlets will not work. (laughs) Yes, you don't have those. That actually came up as part of our like product rollout. People were like, "Oh, but I don't have a neutral wire," and we're like, 
Yeah, yeah you, you do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're putting an outlet where you once had a switch. Yes, yes you do. Yeah, and I mean, I, that one was a case where people just knew that about, they hadn't replaced outlets, you know, so they hadn't gone there yet. But they had seen this with their lighting as a thing. And I think it was a major reason why a lot of people couldn't adopt smart light switches. And so it's nice to see that people are finally solving this issue. One of the reasons that you need a wire is that the neutral wire helps the switch kind of leach power off of the circuit. These things need some power to be able to run, but the devices have been refined over time and the electronics are getting better so that it needs less and less and less power. Right. So now they've come up with ways that they can get the power that they need without having that neutral line. The only problem is if you have like really, really low wattage on the line. If you only have maybe two LED bulbs or something, you might have some problems. So GE has a really clever solution for that, which is just a little screw-in adapter that looks like, I don't even know what it looks like. It's like a screw-in base in the bottom, and then on top of that is the female version of a screw-in base. It's pretty small, and you just put it in one of, you know, if you're controlling lamps with their stuff, you just put it in uh, one of the lamps. If you're controlling overhead lights, you put it in one of the overhead things. It doesn't have to be in all of them, just one. And that helps them. That has the circuitry in it to help them then, I don't know, get the power that they need or something. It's magic to me. I don't understand how it works, but it does. Hopefully they've also done some innovation in the uh, in the uh, realm of resetting their products. If you remember that god-awful video. <laughs> resetting their bulbs yeah <laughs> yeah you know it was funny someone commented and so on that very picture that i tweeted of that adapter someone commented on that picture and said are they doing anything about reset or we could use something that innovative for reset and they said why don't you know why can't we just say hey assistant reset my something something And on confirmation, it could say, are you sure you want to do this? And it could initiate a software-initiated hardware reset. Right. It's an interesting idea. I don't know if that's even possible, but I'm like, wow, that's cool. Patent that. (laughs) That is an interesting idea. I mean, having, having tackled this problem in some of our products, I think you always have to... Software reset is a good option if you have a product that's currently connected and working. But often you need to reset when you have a product that isn't connected isn't working. and isn't working. Yeah. So you always need some sort of hardware function in order to do that. So I don't know if you know that on our outlet, but uh, we actually have a plug insertion way to reset the device. You nice. plug and unplug a plug, I think it's five times in the bottom outlet, and that will do a, a full reset. Okay. It's the last resort. I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. So any trends that you've been seeing or do you want me to go through my list first uh go through your list still in the lighting thing this is all gonna be lighting basically let's face it so i am seeing a lot more white tunable lighting Uh, not just in the bulbs themselves but also in controls to support white tunable lighting and i think that's a sign that manufacturers are are kind of recognizing that, okay, this science is out there. We have our tablets now that change color at the end of the night because 
Science shows that that's better for you. Our computers do that now as well. And so if we can get more consumers on board with the idea of this white tunable lighting, circadian rhythm lighting, if you will, I think that's a good thing. And I love that we're seeing these products come out. You know, I wrote about a product that you can get from Home Depot's, I think it's EcoSmart is the name of the Home Depot line of products. It's a Zigbee white tunable bulb that has an associated and already paired Zigbee physical remote control, and the damn thing's $12. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. That's very cheap. So I'm glad to see stuff like this out there. Yeah, and I think also... People have realized, obviously, like early on, the gimmick of being able to do every color in the rainbow was fun. But like <laughs> the the reality for most people is that they don't want to spend fifty dollars on a light bulb. Yeah, that and <laughs> and they just really want different kinds of white. I mean that that's really what matters. You know, different color temperatures and things like that. And if you can do that at a much more affordable price, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Now, I mentioned the physical controls for these sorts of things. I'm seeing more manufacturers also thinking about, all right, we know the light switch is a problem. I don't think anyone is going to solve it as elegantly as Lutron has with the Aurora dimmer. I think that's probably one of the most clever products I've seen in years in the lighting industry. But how can we provide people with controls that they can use for their lights? Because people don't want to have to rely on an app or have to speak to an assistant right. to turn something on all the time. And that does not pass the babysitter test. Yeah, I think in general in the smart home, it's something that manufacturers got to keep thinking about. Is like, how do people normally use this thing? And how do you introduce things that allow people to have new functions, but also allow the way that we're trained to do it, you know, keep working. And I saw a great example of this back to the Kohler booth. They were showing me some of their smart toilets. And one of the features was a motion sensor for flushing the toilet. So if you're trying to be more hygienic, you don't want to touch something that people have touched after they go to the bathroom, makes a ton of sense. I guess the, the original iteration of this was touchless only. There was no traditional flush handle. What? And people didn't understand, like, how to flush the toilet. Of course not. Yes. So what they did now is they have a traditional-looking flusher, and the motion is on the side. So if you know what you're doing, which makes a ton of sense to me. I have a motion-sensing trash can from, I don't remember what. Simple Human, I believe. Simple Human, yeah. And anytime we have family over to the house, it's always a nightmare watching people, like, try to figure out how to open this trash can and then like the thing that pains me every time is it's open and then they try to shut the lid and I'm like no don't touch it <laughs> so yeah so yeah I mean I think it makes a ton of sense you you have to you know how everybody is trained to use a device you have to take that into mind when you're adding features to it yeah yeah another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about you know before the holiday this chip standard came out that we talked about on the fireside, Christmas, yeah. uh, the, the Fireside Chat episode that we Fireside, had. yeah. And everyone's kind of wondering, well, so what about Z-Wave? And so the first meeting that I had 
at CES here was with Mitch Klein, the director of, or whatever his title is, at the Z-Wave Alliance. And I asked him that very question. I'm like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on what they're doing? I love talking to Mitch. I don't know if you know Mitch. Mitch is an amazing guy. And, you know, he's very candid. He's very transparent about stuff. He's like, I hope it succeeds. He, he said, I think an IP-based house makes a whole lot of sense. But not every device in your house can be or makes sense to be IP-based. And he gave an example of a, like, like a contact sensor. The Wi-Fi stuff just isn't, certainly isn't there yet to be able to support a bunch of Wi-Fi sensors on that. And, and if you think that, okay, I'm going to have one of them on every single window in my home and every single door in my home. When I went through and counted the windows and doors in my home and what that was going to cost for me to get a new system, that's why I ended up going with the company that I did because they could use the ones I already had. The 433 sensors that I had, there's nothing wrong with those. There's no damn reason to replace those. So, you know, he, he talks of a world, and I think that this makes sense to some extent, that while a majority of your home may be IP-based, there could be specific kind of still existing hub-and-spoke models for specific types of devices. That's one thing. The other thing is Z-Wave, and this isn't from him, this is from my own observations around the floor. Z-Wave is deeply embedded in so many of these products. Nearly any of these products, particularly if they have a SKU for pros, right. has a Z-Wave version. Yeah. And obviously, like, the Cedia world is deep into Z-Wave stuff. I think the other element to this and part of the announcement they came out, right, like, they must have been having this ready, and it was kind of, it came out around the chip thing anyways. But so I can tell you, I knew that they, I knew of this announcement. It wasn't going to come out until CES. Ah. It was supposed to come out the first day of CES. And I asked, you know, I, I talked with Mitch about that. I said, I knew you were, you had this announcement. Did they force your hand? And he said, actually, when they came out, we felt like we needed to get our announcement out there right away. So it didn't seem like weeks later, this was our reaction to that. Right. And I think that was smart. Yeah. And that announcement, of course, was that there are going to be other companies now producing Z-Wave chips outside of Silicon Labs. Right. So I think this was always one of my biggest, I guess, reservations about Z-Wave because there was one company you could get chips from right. and they controlled the market. Yep. And with that, they control. They had a monopoly on pricing and things like that. So there was no way to pressure Silicon Labs to drop the price of Z-Wave chips. They fully controlled it. And so by adding another source in there, this should help the market be more competitive yep. because certainly that's going to be one of the ways they're going to have to survive is the price of those radios is going to have to be as affordable, if not cheaper than, than Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi or other solutions. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's the right move for them, but we'll see. I mean, I, I do see a use case where everything could be IP. I don't think everything could operate on Wi-Fi per se, unless some things changed to the Wi-Fi spec and low power and things like that, and obviously infrastructure. But there are other radios out there that are IP-based. So you could have a you could have Wi-Fi for some devices where it makes sense, and you could use other things 
for IP communications for that standard. So, when I forgot to ask him about this, but I thought at one point in time that the Z-Wave Alliance was also talking about Z-Wave over IP, that they had a solution for that that was kind of in the labs at the time. This may force their hand to, yeah. to go there, yeah. because if that's the future, then they may have to get and be a part of it. Right. So, yeah. Anything else from you? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, in general, from as far as trends go, I feel like this year, smart home at CES is very much iterative. I'm not seeing any wild new technologies, nothing crazy, but just things kind of moving along little by little, you know, products ticking, not talking, but, you know, everything's healthy and alive. And Isn't it the other way around. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, continuing to add innovation, you know, across the space. Yeah, I, I agree. There isn't anything revolutionary here in this space that I've seen. That said, this space gets bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. You know, the the smart home section down in Eureka Park was broken into multiple areas. And they had some smart home stuff in the general area as well. And here, you know, your booth is in an area that wasn't smart home stuff before. Yeah. So it's continued to expand out and kind of take over. I would say it's probably... About half of the sands now is all smart home stuff, close to it. So it's an ever-growing area. That's a good thing. That is a good thing, and we hope it stays that way. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Adam, you and I are still going to be here for a couple days, but um, when we get home and get to you know breathe and get some rest and everything, if people want to get in touch with us or find out more about what we do, how can they reach you? You can definitely check out everything my company's doing at ConnectSense.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Justice. How about you, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther, on Instagram at Richard W. Gunther. Somebody already had Richard Gunther. Sorry. Ah, man. I know. I was late to Instagram. That's what happens. And all of my writings and my other show, Home On, are over at the Digital Media Zone. That's thedigitalmediazone.com. The Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm. It's a collection of tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, that coincidentally is also recording their CES episode right now as we're recording ours. The Food Tech Show and my other show, Home On. And, of course, you can find this show at smarthome.fm or in your favorite podcast catcher. And if you like the show, do us some, you know, do us some solid here. Send us some stars or leave a review or, more importantly, tell a friend. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us.